friends and fellow salon lovers, welcome back to She Existed, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, share tidbits about fascinating women from history and legend. Today we have our third installment of a little detour of a series, a mini-series, if you will, that has been all about the women who ran literary and cultural salons. Part one gave a quick overview of women of the salons of the Arab world, part two was all about the ladies of the English coffee houses, and today, part three, is women of the Italian salons. Now, I have to say there have been so many amazing women, so I sound aggressive. Now, I have to say there have been so many amazing women that have popped up and so many fascinating cultures that have traditions of this type that I feel like I could stay on this subject forever. But I think after this third installment, I'm going to take a little break from the salon world and return to one-off episodes, at least for a little bit. But don't worry. We're going to pause after a banger of an episode. The Italians, unsurprisingly, knew how to throw a salon. So we're going to talk about three ladies today. And let me just say right up front, there were a lot of badass salon hostesses in Italy throughout the centuries. It was really hard to pick just three. But as ever, I went with my very, very scientific formula, which is something like relative impactness to quirkiness to I just felt like itness. <laughs> I also really wanted to cover a diverse expanse of Italy, which is quite a diverse country, culturally speaking. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I left some amazing ladies behind, either because I want to revisit them later with their own episodes, or they didn't quite fit my theme, or they were too famous. For example, Queen Christina of Sweden, uh, about whom there is like a friggin' awesome movie that you should watch, Um, she abdicated her throne, and then she... Uh, left Sweden, and apparently she ended up in Italy and actually ran some salons. And apparently she and a woman named Marie Mancini had some sort of rivalry as salon hostesses. Like, I'm thinking sharks, I'm thinking jets, but alas, not enough time to cover in our little bite-sized podcast. So we're going to start with Giovanna Dandolo, move on to Benvenida Abrabanel, and finish up with a woman whom I believe to be my historical Italian salon hostess soul sister, Margarita Spaparani Gentili Boccapadule. Seriously, if she and Mariana Marash and I could have tea, I would die happy. Speaking of, I think I'm going to have to seriously update my if you could have dinner with list. Dolly Parton definitely stays, and probably Carl Sagan too, but I think I'm going to have to start rethinking some of the rest of the seats since starting this podcast. There are worse problems to have. Okay, so let's kick things off with Giovanna Dandolo, who is the first known woman in Italy to host what we would call a salon. Now, let's just take one of my magical little detours for just a moment, because the thing is that there really wasn't an Italy when she was born in 1400. And honestly, based on everything I'm reading and experiencing living in Italy right now, it's not a crazy stretch to say that there's sort of barely an Italy at the moment. What I mean by that is that Italy is still quite regionally focused, and used to be much more so. Until unification in the 19th century, what we know as Italy was really a collection of smaller regions and city-states that were largely either self-ruled or ruled at various points by various foreign entities. So rather than call Giovanna Dandolo Italian, uh, which would be pretty inaccurate, I will have to call her Venetian. In fact, she was none other than the Dogaressa of Venice, an admittedly silly-sounding title that is basically comparable to a queen. I mean, she was coronated and everything. Um, But that silly title is also one of the reasons I picked her to talk about. Dogaresa is fun to say. 
Silly title or not, Giovanna was a total badass and threw her weight behind a lot of important projects as Dogaressa. I am going to say that as much as possible. Sorry. For example, and to me, most importantly, printing. She super supported the introduction of the printing press to Venice, and the first book ever printed in Venice was dedicated to her. Apparently, many, many of the earliest books were dedicated to her for this reason. She was called the Empress of Printing for all of her support of the written word. She was also called the Queen of Lace for a similar reason. I like lace too, but not as much as books, so that's all I have to say about that. Well, wait, one more thing. Apparently, she actually participated herself in the production of lace as well. And that is pretty badass. Like, I like a dogaressa who isn't afraid to get her hands dirty. Her only surviving likeness, in fact, which is on a medal and which you can see on the she.existed Instagram, seems to have some sort of pretty floral design on her dress. So maybe she made it. That's a total conjecture. No proof of that whatsoever, so don't quote me, but fun to think. All right, so in addition, of course, to supporting lace and books, she was also a great benefactor for writers, artists, and scientists, and gathered them all around her at her salons. Unfortunately, that is pretty much all the info I could get about her salon specifically, but anyway, she was the first one. So moving on to Benvenida Abravanel, who was born in about 1473, so about 73 years after Ardogaresa. She was a Jewish philanthropist and businesswoman, all three things being super fucking impressive to be successful at at this time in Italy. I mean, I'm sure she was successful at being Jewish by just existing, but what I mean is, of course, that the history of the Jewish people in Italy and the rest of Europe, if we're gonna go down that road, is of course very fraught, with some periods of relative acceptance and peace, but overall just a ton of discrimination. In fact, Benvenida was actually born in Spain, but in 1492, Spain just straight up decided to expel all of their Jews. Like, Spain was a high school classroom and all Jewish people were some allegedly delinquent kid the teacher has it in for. I mean, see how far back all this historical bullshit goes? Anyway, this ended up being to the benefit of Naples. Note again that I am not saying Italy because not a thing at that time. Because Naples got Benvenida. In Naples, Benvenida tutored Eleanor of Toledo, the daughter of the Spanish viceroy of Naples, and they became lifelong friends. Eleanor, by the way, ended up married to Cosimo I de Medici. Yep, that family, those Medicis. So kind of a big deal. Benvenida would become a patron of the mystic David Rubeni, whose story is super interesting and would totally be featured in our alternate universe brother podcast, He Existed. Doesn't actually exist, though, so... Sorry, Rubeni. But Rubeni noted that Benvenida fasted daily, ransomed a thousand captives, was well known for her charity, and supported the printing of books for scholars. Yet another lady of the written word. So in 1533, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V decided it was time to expel the Jews from Naples. Ick, guys. I mean, if Spain jumped off a bridge... But anyway, Benvenida and several princesses, and that's just what the article that I read said, I'm taking mean that she really did just attract an amazing crowd of people around her. But anyway, they pushed back and ended up getting that order postponed for 10 years, which, I don't know, yay, I guess. Like, great victory, politically speaking, but still kind of garbage overall. In 1540, Charles V, in a serious proto-Hitler move, decided that Jews needed to wear a special badge, so she and her family peaced out and moved to Ferrara. Don't blame them at all. 
It is apparently in Ferrara that her salon began and flourished, drawing scholars and artists from all over into her and her husband's home. Sadly, Benvenida's husband died a few years later, but this opened the door for more badassery on her part. So apparently he had made her his heir, which turned out to be kind of tricky because according to Jewish law, this was not kosher. Bad joke, sorry. But for real, Benvenida fought back, defended her rights, and fucking won. Boom. She then went on to open five banks in the Duchy of Florence, which were crazy successful, and she also donated a ton of money to the less fortunate. Ba-bam. Awesome. Benvenida, love that. All right, so our final lady of the Italian Salon series is one with whom I felt an instant affinity when I read this quote of hers. End note, I had to translate it from Italian, and my Italian is still pretty garbage, so this is basically Google Translate with some tweaking and artistic license from me. Did my best. Quote, I must confess that I have always been full of curiosity, but equally struggled with applying myself with any consistency. But I have a curious mind. I love literature, the sciences, I respect the arts, but I applied myself to nothing. I have always cultivated natural history out of curiosity. This examination of nature has always interested and amused me, without serious application. <laughs> a fellow dilettante. Love it. Her name is Margarita Spaparani Gentili Bocapadule, and she lived in what we might think of as the Golden Age of Salons, born in 1735. Margarita inherited a decent chunk of land and real estate when she was quite young from her uncles or great uncles, something like that. It was a very convoluted family situation. Um, that's also where her Gentili last name comes from. That was a piece of that inheritance to like continue that line. Anyway, although she married at 18, marriage was not really her speed, and she really, really did not get along with her husband. I really don't know what his deal was, but he was actually declared incapacitated which ended up giving Margarita a massive amount of freedom. Margarita lived in Rome and was famous for being incredibly intelligent, lively, and well-educated, with interests spanning music, drawing, languages, and even art and design. One source I read noted that she even created some amateur furniture designs herself. Apparently, she didn't have a massive fortune. I mean, obviously, she had a lot of money for the time, but apparently not enough to avoid having to continually sell off pieces of furniture to make way for new ones. So, very creative. I love that. We know that her salons took place around 1767 in Rome. Her lifelong companion and lover, Count Alessandro Veri, who, quick fun facts, was a writer, they met at one of her salons, and he was the first person to translate Shakespeare into Italian. Anyway, he wrote of her that she, quote, receives friends and strangers who frequent her as the only Europeana in Rome. I believe the term Europeana uh, is meant to imply culture, learning, perhaps a certain elegance. Indeed, Louis Dutin, a French writer, attended her salons and called her, quote, witty, cheerful, and a varied and pleasant conversation. One article that I found claimed that she had a rival salon hostess, Maria Pizzelli, Although I was unable to find out much more information about whether they were actually rivals or if that's just like a presumption because more than one woman ran a salon in Rome at the time. Apparently, though, one major difference between the two was that at Pizzelli's salon, and I quote, there was no room for flirtations and frivolous conversations. So sounds like a little bit less cheerful than Margarita's, perhaps, but you know, there's room for all kinds of salons, don't you think? 
Margarita was also a prolific writer, most notably of a diary of her travels around Italy in the later part of her life that lasted at least a couple of years. So let's talk about that for a second. This is an approximately 500-page diary, of which copies exist, but I cannot find a version of it in English, much to my dismay. It really bothers me, to be honest. Um, my mother gifted me Goethe's Italian journey when I was younger, which I love and cherish, and I know Goethe is a huge deal, in his own right, for various reasons, but the fact that there's a similar book written by a woman who was quite famous in her day, but it's just not really accessible now to a broader audience, just, just really bothers me, because it certainly isn't because she wasn't a good writer. I found this one passage translated, and I just found it so beautiful. So for context, she was friends with the sculptor Canova, and I'm sure you know his famous Cupid and Psyche sculpture. Um, it's technically called Psyche Revived by Cupid's Kiss, but it's everywhere. All of the pictures everywhere. Um, we went to his former studio a few weeks ago uh, here in Rome. It's now a coffee shop, which is super cool, but they still have like all of his sculptures everywhere, and it was, oh, it was mind-blowing. He's amazing. But anyway, uh, here is what Margarita had to say about him. If Prometheus had had Canova's chisel, he wouldn't have needed to call fire from heaven to animate his stone. Even translated, you can't tell me that doesn't have some poetry in it. It's just really bizarre what we pick and choose as being worthy of entering general educational materials, and a real shame. So she was a great writer and a total badass. Apparently, she gave little to no thought at all to the very dangerous road she often had to travel to get to her various destinations around the peninsula. Alright, well that's what I have for you today. A very limited selection of women of the literary salons of the Italian peninsula. Here they are for you, in case you want to dive in on your own. Giovanna Dandolo, uh, it's D-A-N-D-O-L-O. Benvenida Abrabanel. Um, B-E-N-V-E-N-I-D-A, A-B-R-A-B-A-N-E-L. That one is also alternatively spelled A-B-R-A-V-A-N-E-L. Margarita Sparapani Gentili Boccapadule. I'll just spell the last name for you. B-O-C-C-A-P-A-D-U-L-E. And of course, just Google Italian Literary Salons, and that should get you going. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. See you next time.